before you and this is why we're here we have met to worship you in spirit and in truth lord we ask we plead we beg of your uh, hand in our lives to to guide us in this we can't do it on our own we have to be led by your holy spirit and so lord we pray for that that we would uh, be led by you today as we worship you and as we learn from your word and we just thank you for this wonderful opportunity and it's in christ's name we pray amen you may be seated and um we have, let's see, where'd it go, where'd it go, there it is, um, my, this little blue cards, if you would uh, grab one of those, the, uh, it's the FBCO connection card, please fill that out, especially if you're first or second time guest, we would love to know that you're here worshiping with us, okay, and then the rest of us, we've got prayer, and, and you as well, we have prayer cards, um, so please fill those out, and you will be prayed for, guarantee it, and uh, let me also tell you about, uh, I want you to uh, put something on your calendar, um, a save the date, if you will, dates. Uh, we are doing Back to Bethlehem again this year. So basically it's the first Sunday in December, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and then the second uh, weekend in December, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. So if you don't know about what Back to Bethlehem is all about, we're going to have a, a meeting here in a couple of weeks and you can come to it and get all that information, but we would love to have you. It takes about 75-80% of the church family to really pull it off, and so you are very important in this. We, we need you desperately, so uh, you'll find out more about that, okay? Let's continue to worship with uh, this song that just reminds us, uh, probably, hopefully, uh, many of you, if you're my age, uh, this is back from your childhood, just reminds us of the sovereignty of God over all the earth. This is my Father's world.
to sing a song about the the cross, um, at the cross. Um, let me bear with me just just a moment. We took care of our grandkids a little bit this this uh, week, and and so they they love a book that we have at our house, the, the Three Trees. These three trees, one of them wanted to be a great beautiful piece of furniture. The other one wanted to be a great sailing ship. The other one wanted to stay on the mountain and just grow as tall, the tallest tree in the world so he could point to heaven, point to God. Well, that first tree, its dream didn't come, become realized. It became just a mangy old uh, feed trough. But baby Jesus wound up there. The second tree, uh, its dream wasn't realized. It became just a little boat that was only good for lakes. But the Lord Jesus was in it when he said, peace be still. The third tree got chopped down, and his dream wasn't realized, but he became a cross. And so every time he sees the cross that Jesus died on, it points to heaven, points to God. And, you know, just like Brother Philip has reminded us, our marriages are always supposed to point to Jesus, to point to God. Amen? And so as we sing this cross, let's think about our families and how they point people to Jesus. Oh 
Lord God, we come once again uh, for a time of prayer, a time of committing our tithes and offerings to you, Lord. And um, truly, what we just sang is, is so biblically accurate. We owe all to you. It all belongs to you anyway. And, uh, and so, Lord, what we give back to you, what you blessed us with, we just give you all praise and glory for this opportunity. And we pray that every dime uh, that comes in today is just used for your glory and for the building of your kingdom. And uh, we offer it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I'd like to introduce you to a new song, uh, sort of a new hymn in the same, um, cut out of the same cloth as when we all get to heaven, sort of. Uh, but it uh, reminds us that we're almost home. This life is just a short vapor. We're almost home. Keep fighting the good fight. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost 
as we get ready to receive the word today, let's just let these next two songs be our prayer. Lord, I give all my family to you. I give all my future to you. I give all my worship to you. And then we'll end with the classic hymn, I Surrender All. This is our prayer that as we open your word today and as we learn uh, from your word, Lord, that we would apply uh, each and everything that you have called us to, to know and to do. Uh, Lord, just be with our pastor as he brings the words of life to us, life-changing words, transforming words. It will chisel us a little bit more into the image of Jesus today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
So, I lose my passport, <laughs> and Natalie and I go all over our home, ransack the thing to try to find it, come to the office and can't find it. And then today, I flip my mic on, I'm like, oh, it showed full battery when I left out of my office, and so I have to run and get batteries. But I want you to know I'm fully charged. And I'm really ready for the sermon, amen? All right. No, that was a, not a fun thing. I was down in the dumps for a few hours. We feel like uh, in 15 years of mission trips that the one thing you know you need, you assume it's there because we always put it in the same place. So we find four passports. Mine is not one of them. So I don't know if we lost it in the move from the offices. I don't know if it's at home, but... We couldn't find it. I think it raptured. So I like it. <laughs> and the Lord literally grounded me. So uh, I'm glad to be here, though, to preach the word, to con- continue our series together. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, a familiar text. We've been there for a while. Let me just remind you of what the Lord God has to say following an imperative command to be filled with the Spirit. Paul will give us. Five participial phrases that explain what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Remember, you're doing a good job, by the way, addressing one another. Participial phrase in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, second participial phrase. Making melody, third. Giving thanks, number four. And we've been following suit with submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and it opens up into what we would call domestic life, how submission works in domestic life. The Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I'm sure there have been two very different reactions. I know this for a fact because I've gotten correspondence back. And plus, not in a negative sense, but in the sense I'm going to give it to you. So... We know there can be at least two reactions to hearing this particular text of Scripture. On the one hand, you can have expressions of joy and happiness. Not only because the pastor has preached from this glorious text of Scripture, but also because there's a joyful embrace of the duties enjoined in this passage. And you feel that in your own marriage. That can be one reaction. On the other hand... There was and can be a reaction or response of pain and frustration. The joy of marriage is real. I love to read Solomon's words. Enjoy the wife of your youth. That's one of my favorite verses. That's good stuff. Marriage is real and satisfying. And in this case, when both husband and wife find their joy ultimately in God's glory and working for one another's joy 
in the context of marriage, that is a beautiful thing. For instance, uh, in my devotional reading this week, I scanned over Matthew 22, and I landed on the Pharisee, a Sadducee's discussions with Jesus trying to catch him on the horns of a dilemma. And they're saying to him, we've got him. He has no idea who will be married to who when, he get, when they get to heaven. What about this dude who's had six or seven wives? And what about this one who married another because a brother died and left this? They're thinking, we've got him. There's no way he's going to know. And Jesus just rocks their world by saying, in the, re- in the resurrection, you won't be given unto marriage, but you'll be like the angels. Whew. The Pharisees turned around and never asked that question again, by the way. But it also reminded us, and should, that your marriage on earth may be a marriage made in heaven, but it's not going to be continued that way. Why? A little later in the text, they ask, well, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus puts the focus where it's supposed to be. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And so that really, the context of God's glory, even on earth in your marriage, should be your ultimate focus. So I remind you of this real satisfying joy in marriage that we have. But just as this is real, I also remind you of the pain and frustration that can exist in a marriage. And that is also real, isn't it? And I understand that. So the frustration can run extremely deep, especially when one or the other is trying their best to seek that joy and satisfaction in Christ and to live for the other's benefit. But... He or she only runs into disappointment after disappointment. Okay, hear this. No matter what your marriage is or isn't like, God is bigger than your marriage. That's what we have to understand. Okay, so this sermon is a little different because I told you last week we hit those six issues of uh, admonitions to wives. And I thought it necessary to give to you some of the difficulties And then just a few challenges for our ladies. So, when we come to embrace the Lord's design, no matter what your marriage is like, each and every married person, hear me, can experience joy that can only be found in the Lord and not your spouse. Keep that focus. There is a joy and satisfaction That's found in Jesus. And my prayer is that I hope you find that satisfaction and joy and happiness in the way that your marriage actually is working out. That will be the goal, of course. For some, that comes, for some, this this experience of joy may very well come from a husband that is living, beginning in verse 25, right? To love you as Christ loved the church. But I'm keenly aware of the fact that some of you will find that joy based on how Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. When he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Right? There's a balance. I get it. You may find ultimate joy and satisfaction in the marital union that you have because both uh, spouses are actually living out what it means to be filled with the Spirit. However... Can you still have joy if it's not like that? You better believe it. Because our joy is in the Lord. Sorrowful 
yet always rejoicing. At the end of the day, the trials of our marriage can indeed turn our hearts toward the Lord. And you can have an an intimacy like you've never known before because you have walked through difficulties. So, you'll find that obedience comes from following His ways. And when you sense this, it's kind of an otherworldly kind of commitment and satisfaction. Why? Because it's supernatural. It comes from the Lord. And it is deeply satisfying. Even though you may have massive marital deficiencies. We're all married to imperfect spouses. Pause, right? But please embrace this understanding that you can have an otherworldly, supernatural, and deeply satisfying relationship with Christ that sustains you even through a deficient marriage. And we have to understand this. So, please embrace this. At the end of the day, God is still bigger than our marriages. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I said to you that God is glorified in our marriages when two things happen. First, God is glorified when the biblical responsibilities of both husband and wife are fulfilled. How? In the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the text is reminding you of. You're under the influence. You are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Be continually filled with the Spirit of God. And so God is glorified when that happens. But there's a second one. God is glorified when the motivation to fulfill those responsibilities are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory in the Spirit's power. In other words, all these domestic orders can be lived out by you just externally, uh, kind of pharisaically, right? You can just, well, punch my ticket today, did all my wifely duties or did all my husband duties, and it can actually just simply be an external thing, just to obey a certain script. But in reality, when you do these things, you have to look to the bigger picture of Christ's love for his church and the church's response to the Lord. So it's easy at times to conform to external standards and expectations, yet what is your motivation for doing what you do? And ultimately that motivation to fulfill those responsibilities needs to end up being the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So we labored last week to unpack the wife's responsibility. It comes in two parts. Wives, submit to your own husbands and submit as unto the Say it. Lord. Okay? And so, there's divinely constituted authority by God in creation. And then there's a corollary. And the corollary is not inferiority in submission at all, but godliness with submission. And we presented that proof by addressing the divine trinity that the Son has always been in submission with the Father, though he was absolutely equal. So there's equality of personhood, and there is diversity of function among the Godhead, but there's unity of purpose. Please hear that. It's so important. So, submission to your husband, ladies, on the horizontal plane, is ultimately submission to Christ in obedience in the vertical plane. Does that make sense? Right? Talk to me. I don't want to have to repeat all this. We also talked about the dignity in submission because it follows the pattern 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not consider his equality with the Father something to be grasped, made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a servant. So there's dignity in that submission uh, because it's rendered not ultimately to man, but it's rendered as to the Lord. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Last Lord's Day, we discussed the motivations as well, the grounds for the wife's submission. And the first one is headship. The next one is submitting as to Christ. The other one is in everything, which is the totality of life. You have to be careful there. We're not talking about obeying your husband when he leads you to do things in error. Because you would have to live Acts 5-9 in that case. It's better to obey God than man. Let's be clear. And then the final one is found in verse 33 of chapter 5. See then that you respect your husband. Uh, this male headship, folks, comes from creation order. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't result from the fall. Is it distorted? Absolutely. But it didn't result from the fall. It was already there pre-fall, Genesis 1 and 2. But here's the glory of it. In redemption, it receives its fullest expression. Jesus Christ redeems the creation ordinance and he gives greater glory to the marriage relationship than it has ever known before. And that's what you see in Ephesians 5. You see this incredible, full expression of what this picture is, and you begin to realize that the picture is an analogy of a greater reality. And you're living it out as husbands and wives. So headship, then, is Christ-like authority. It's Christ-like leadership. We defined it as taking the primary responsibility for the servant leadership, protection, and provision for your wife and your family. This male headship is in creation order. God gave it. So headship and submission come together to form a unity, right? In Ephesians, like Christ and his body, the church. Just think about the unity that exists in a home when the husband is leading as he should and the wife is responding with voluntary submission to his leadership. That is an awesome, wonderful thing. Again, don't forget the Trinity, equality of personhood, diversity of roles, but unity of purpose. And then remember this definition. John Piper says, Submission is an inclination of the will to say yes to the husband's leadership and a disposition of the spirit to support his initiatives. Okay, does everybody see Ephesians 5, 22 through 24? Are you ladies ready? Is that not the standard? Will we all agree? Well, we could, we could actually say for the entire unit of 522 through 33, is this the standard for marriage? Talk to me. Absolutely. Where are we? On the standard. Just somewhere down here, right? When we look at it, we understand that this is the reality. But we all, as sinners, fall miserably short from that standard. And we have to be honest about that. Have you noticed this in your own life? We understand that it is painfully true. Uh, this is what we are called to do. But we realize that based upon what we're called to do and be, based on where we are, that we fall short of this particular standard. So there are difficulties. And wives, in particular, since we're dealing with 22 through 24, 
There are difficulties with wives being submissive to their husbands. Do you know what the root of all those difficulties is? Well, again, flip back to Genesis chapter 3. I introduced this text last week. I think it's very important that we hit it again. Remember, the section here is known as God's curses upon fallen humanity. And he gives these curses based upon the woman and the man's sin, right? Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Bring on the epidural, right? In pain you shall bring forth children. But note this, you, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. But he shall rule over you. That final line, your desire will be for your husband, and yet he will rule over you, is adversative in Hebrew. It is, yet he will. So, in other words, you've got two contrasting things that are adversatives to one another. So the foundation for the battle of the sexes started right here. Clearly, this is it, okay? Uh, before there was ever history, before anything was ever lived out with progeny and Adam and Eve and, and all of those who follow after, which is all mankind, we understand that there was the battle of the sexes. And some of you are thinking, well, that sounds pretty good. In my translation, it says, my desire will be for my husband. <laughs> uh, hard sell, you guys, for that one, right? The fact of the matter is, there's something way deeper here. This is not given to us in a romantic way. Uh, this is not, you are handsome, kiss me or I will die. That's not what's going on here. We're, we are given an exact grammatical comparison in chapter 4, verse 6. Remember that Cain and Abel bring sacrifices. God does not accept Cain's. And notice verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin. It's crouching at the door. Check this out. Same exact grammatical expression. Notice the end of verse 6. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So, notice verse 6. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It's contrary to you, but you must rule over it or master it. Again, grammatically identical to Genesis 3.16. So part of the curse is not romantic desires for her husband. It is actually that she will have a desire to usurp her husband's leadership. She will have a desire to do to her husband what sin actually did to Cain. I get that this is not very flattering. But understand, however... Part of the curse ends up being the wife's inherent unwillingness to yield to her husband's leadership. In other words, her desire is to master him, but here's the second part of the curse. He will rule over you. One of the fundamental reasons, okay, why we find headship and submission to be such a challenging thing and so difficult in marriage is because of these realities here. It's because of our fallen nature, and it's turned itself inward and it's twisted. It certainly doesn't look like pre-fall in Eden, does it? it? It doesn't look like that now. It's twisted and perverted. So that that very good 
God establish order where the husband is supposed to be the servant leader. He becomes a tyrant or he becomes passive or he just becomes a bad leader. The wife who is supposed to do, be yielding to her husband is now trying to master him. What that means at the heart is that it looks different in many, many ways. Okay, There are many difficulties lived out on the face of the earth in what we call the marital union. Because of this sinfulness, because of fallenness, this, this can be difficult. Some of the things that are difficult are very obvious. Some are not so obvious. Let me give you a few of them. Are you ready? Number one, we have the dif- difficulty of tyrannical husbands. I don't see any of you husbands moving to write anything down. But I do see the wives shifting and looking down, right? There's no doubt that this has been the case when men have read over chapter 5, 22 through 24. All the while, they forget verse 25. Correct? We know this. And they've taken it in an oppressive way toward their wives, and thus it is tyrannical. They are men who are dictators, oppressors, and tyrants. They look at themselves, and they take headship to mean dictatorship. You're not acting in the spirit of Christ if this is the case for you today, if you're a man and a husband. You're actually acting in the spirit of the Antichrist. And you're welcome. Yes, I have to tell you that. I hope we all understand that tyranny in headship is not the spirit of Christ. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. Number two, we have the difficulty of insubordinate wives. We have, why do you think they give this admonition and let the wife see that she respects her husband? Wives, oftentimes, we've got situations where they do not respect their husbands. They have their own agenda and they're self-willed. And I don't think they would ever say this out loud, but deep down inside of them, there's this resonating rumbling I'm woman, and hear me roar. Right? They will manipulate in order to control, and an insubordinate wife knows how to manipulate in order to get her way. Sometimes it's aggressive, sometimes it's passive, yet in the bottom, it's insubordination. All right, number three. You uh, men, buckle your pew seatbelt. All right? We have the difficulty of passive husbands. You ladies are just good and subordinate because I didn't hear any amens on that one, right? So it's important to remind ourselves that lazy indifference is just as much a part of the fall as tyranny. Please, men, hear me on this one because you think it's smooth sailing for you because you're not a tyrant. But I need to ask you a question. You are prone to passivity because of the fall. There's a reason why it says, and the man stood by her. He stood with her when she partook of the fruit. We may ask the question, where was Adam's headship in the garden? Well, the fact is, man's leadership is perverted in the fall. And man's passivity is as much a part of the fall as tyranny. We have husbands that will not lead. They will not take the responsibility as the head. 
Husbands who will not take the responsibility for themselves, for their wife, or for their children. We've got men who do not have a biblical vision of marriage, let alone of spiritual leadership. Hear me. This is a perversion of the headship that God has given you. It's a form of ruling that is cruel. I despise tyranny under the guise of headship. And we should all do that. Yet we would equally and should equally despise passivity under the guise of love. If you're a passive husband and you will not take the leadership of your home and you will not take the responsibility as the head over your wife and children, then you are handcuffing your godly wife. You are. You're keeping her in constant pressure of a moral dilemma. If she's a godly woman and she desires to be in compliance with the revealed word of God, then at her heart she wants to submit. But if there's no leadership, if you're passive, weak, and wimpy, then you're putting her in a position where she constantly has to go back and forth between should I do this or should I not do this? Should I attempt to do a Bible study or do I need to just keep my mouth shut? In other words, if we're not careful, we will put our wives on a spiritual island where she is plagued with spiritual loneliness. And folks, that is cruel and that is wrong. I don't hear, me, I don't hear too many amens. Maybe a little grunt. <clears throat> right? But I'm telling you this for your own good. Okay? I'm telling you this as your pastor. Here's what I know about most men. We don't want to admit spiritual passivity. But I'll go ahead and tell you. I'm there sometimes. Just absolutely passive. And if you're half the man that you say you are, you'll admit it too. We get passive at times. And you know why we don't want to admit it? Because we're manly men. Right? You're active. You're effective. You work hard. You watch football. You drink beer. Of course you're manly. Baloney. In the very area, check this out, in the very area where God has called you to exercise godly dominion and servant leadership, we're often inept, inactive, weak, and passive. And this is the very place where God has called you to be this, the head of your home. Amen? Are all you youth writing this down? Are you ladies, young girls, writing this down in regard to the man that you desire to marry? I hope you are. So, in the case, you really are an unmanly man if you're not leading like the text says. So I believe that for every tyrant, there's at least ten passive, unmanly, non-leaders in the home. But here's the news. God's grace can transform you. If you yield your members as instruments of righteousness, as a believer, I'm telling you, God can change you. So the number one complaint that I often hear over the years from godly ladies is that my husband, he's not bossy, he's not a tyrant, he's not a dictator, but he is a straight-up couch potato. Right? He comes in, he sits down, he thinks his headship is holding the remote. 
And after he moves from the couch to the dinner table and consumes his food, he goes back to assume his kingly throne with his remote again. Oh, here we go. I like it. It's everything your wife can do to get you to say grace. Shame on you. You can lead your family in prayer. That woman loves you and she's not out to figure out if you can pray like Charles Spurgeon. She just wants you to lead. Just just think of this for a moment. How important it is for us to do this. Takes everything in her power to get you to say the blessing. Shouldn't be the case. Now some of you men are thinking, I thought this section was on the women. Well again, there's 115 words for you and 40 for the ladies. There's going to be some imbalance. Uh, You want me to get back to it, but I'm just telling you the difficulties. So I'm preaching to you, wives. I'm, I'm preaching to the men on behalf of the wives at this point. This is why it makes it difficult. Now, there are other difficulties. What if you're in a marriage and you're married to an unbeliever? Can I remind you of something? Please don't go out and seek this. Because we look at the scripture and we find out that, of course... There's admonitions in 1 Corinthians 7 about what you should do if you find yourself in a home with an unbelieving spouse. But have you ever thought that they may have been saved out of evangelistic efforts out of the book of Acts and one of the other trusted Christ but the other didn't and they were already married? So be real careful in this regard. So that's, that unequal yoke is real and it's difficult and there's trials that are immense and that's why the church of the living God needs to help. So the difficulties abound. There are no easy answers. There's no quick biblical fix. We all live under the umbrella of of Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. Uh, We know we do this. The difficulties are akin to being stricken with cancer or losing a family member or a friend in an auto accident. And you know this is true. I would just say this. I I think the thing that marks marriage difficulties more so than anything is that it's worse at times than being diagnosed with cancer or losing a friend or a family member to death. It can be worse. And I'm, I get that. And some of you have actually lived it out. I will remind you that not a single one of these difficulties is an excuse for us to nullify what God's Word says. Okay? So go ahead and get that out of the picture. We don't exegete the Bible with our experience. We let that word of God exegete our experiences. So here we we can't let it nullify. No matter what the difficulty is in the context of your marriage. You may be married to a tyrant or a passive guy. The fact is none of these difficulties will be uh, an excuse to use before the Lord regarding our requirements. So if he is passive, ladies, that can't be an excuse for you to be in charge. Not in a domineering way. It cannot be an excuse if he's a tyrant uh, for you to be rebellious or blindly subjugated. Right? Both of those are true. Now, I know I'm I'm in risky territory when I say this. But since I'm in the neighborhood, I'm going to drop in. Are you all ready? Ladies, if you're bossy by nature and if you're independent by nature and if you have a rebellious streak in you by nature... That's still no excuse for you to dodge this calling in the Bible. Is everybody listening? Well, pastor, God did not make me to be submissive. 
Again, there's a reason why you're not submissive, and that has to do with the fall and depravity, but not creation. Okay? So, no command from Scripture is easy by nature, is it? This is why we need grace. This is why we need the Holy Spirit of God. So I specifically say to wives this morning, okay, that's off the difficulties. Now let me just give you a few admonitions and we're done, okay? Learn to rely upon the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the power of His might. Learn to be obedient in the context of where you find yourself. Depend on the Lord for everything that you need. Learn to respectfully utilize this church body and the leadership of this church to help you in the vein of Hebrews 3 and in the vein of Hebrews chapter 10. This does not mean that you run around in this church and accumulate all the listening years you can possibly find to tell them how bad your husband is. That's not the way to handle it. Right? It's not the way to handle it. However, you should approach godly women who have been there that can help you and teach you and mentor you you know, the fact is, you approach them and say, I know I can't change my husband, but God can change me. Right? And I need to be mentored. In the vein of Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, we think about how God handles things. And in Hebrews 10, 24 through 26, Lord, teach me what it is to be the kind of wife that you've called me to be. God's word never tells us that obedience is easy. Does it? It never tells us this. But it does tell us that if we obey the Lord, no matter if you're going through difficulty or not, it's to bless life. Obedience to the Lord. What does this submission look like and how does it glorify God? What does it look like? I understand, you ladies may say, I understand why I should do this, but let's see how it works. Why should I be zealous and passionate about being a submissive wife? Why? Well, I'm not an astronomer. I may have a third grade level understanding of astronomy. Okay? But submission looks like the moon. Hold on. The wife is supposed to be like the moon in her submission to her husband. What is at the center of our universe? The sun, S-U-N. And I know, again, I only possess a limited understanding of this. But here's what I do know. Everything goes around the sun. And in this illustration, the sun is the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything. We've learned that in Ephesians, have we not? He is the center. All things will be brought together in Christ Jesus. All things will be united. So our God and our Lord is at the center of the universe. What does the earth do? The earth, earth rotates around the sun. Okay? Husbands, your life needs to be centered on Christ. Period. Right? And then there's the moon. The moon rotates around the earth as it rotates around the sun. The sun is still the center of the moon's universe. And the Lord Jesus Christ, ladies, must be the center of your universe as well. But it also, the moon also has another job, and it is to rotate around the earth. As the earth rotates around the sun. Ladies, you are to be like the moon. And husbands, do you know what it is 
that keeps the moon rotating around the earth? It's the gravitational pull of the earth. Guys, do you want to know how to keep a well-orbiting wife? Learn what it is to pull her in by the gravity of sacrificial love. That's how you do it. That's how you live. That's how you have a well-orbiting marriage. I don't think your wife is going to be so tempted or interested in checking out Pluto and Mars if you are loving your wife as Christ loved the church. In all my years of counseling married couples, I've never met a single woman who would not respond to that gravitational pull of a husband who sacrifices and loves that woman. Amen? Yes. So I know my illustration breaks down at some point. But the fact of the matter is, some of you ladies would might say, I don't like how that solar system works. Well, I want to remind you that you can't create your own. Well, you don't have the right or the power to do that first. God made you rotate around the earth. God made you as the moon rotate around the husband. <clears throat> and it's a marvelous thing as we both rotate around the Savior. Remember, that guy's not your Savior. There's only one Savior, Christ the Lord. But your submission is as unto the Lord. So husbands, go home and tell your wives, You my moon, baby. Right? Submission is that disposition of the heart before the Lord before it is ever an action in marital relationship. Hear this. It's a disposition of the heart before the Lord before it's ever an act in your marriage. When I lost my passport, my wife was invited to go to a birthday party at 6 with some of the ladies in our church. So at 5.40, we, we just were exhausted. It's not going to be found. We're out. So I say to her, you need to go to the birthday party. But she says to me, I'm not leaving you like this. That's orbiting, right? She understood I was devastated. And I would have been fine if she went to that birthday party. As a matter of fact, I would have wanted her to go because I know what that means to her to be around the ladies in this church. However, she understood that she needed to stay in orbit for me. And that was a huge blessing. Just small things like that matter. Now listen to how John Piper ends his definition of submission. The reason I say that it's a disposition and an inclination because there will be times when the most submissive wife will hesitate at her husband's decision. You ever been there, ladies? It may look unwise to your spouse that you're about to make this decision. And here's what Piper says about his wife, Noel. Suppose it is Noel and me. And I've decided to do something, but it's foolish for the family. At that moment, Noel could express her submission something like this. Johnny, I know that you have thought about this a lot. And I love it when you take the initiative to plan for us. I love it when you take the responsibility like this. However, I don't have a piece about this decision. I think we need to talk about it some more. Could we, could we do it tonight, Johnny? 
Then Piper says this. This is the reason why this falls under the guise of biblical submission. Number one, husbands unlike Jesus Christ are fallible and ought to admit it. All of us are, right? There is an infinite difference between you and Christ Jesus the Lord. Okay? Number two, husbands should desire for their wives to be excited about the family decisions because Christ wants us to be excited about following his decisions and not just follow them begrudgingly. And third, the way that Noel actually expressed her misgivings and communicated clearly that she endorsed my, my leadership affirms me as the head. So what does submission look like? It looks like the moon. Okay? Please don't separate Ephesians 5.22 from 5.18, ladies. Please understand that connection. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting yourselves to your own husbands. It's a glorious act of obedience to the Lord and the power of His Holy Spirit. So we need to consciously depend upon the Spirit of God. And I think our prayer, ladies, should look something like this. Father, fill me with your word by your Spirit today so that the result will be glad submission to my husband today. Give me the faith to be like your son who submitted himself, Father, to your will. Help us, Lord, to do what we cannot do on our own. A second thing is that we need full acceptance of God's order and provision. Folks, I think there's sweetness. There should be a satisfaction that comes in our soul when we embrace it God's way. Okay? So... This is God's best for you. You accept that in an imperfect world and also in an imperfect marriage. Okay. Augustine once said, demand whatever you will and then grant me what you command. And I know, ladies, you're sitting there thinking, how in the world can I do this? Well, the very God who asks you to do it will equip you to do it. And that's exactly what Augustine meant. Lord, demand whatever you will. And then grant me what you command. How do we know that's the case? Galatians 2.20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that lives. But it is Christ who is in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's an awesome thing to serve a God who commands you to do something and gives you the power to do it. Amen? And our God can do that. Call upon the Lord for his strength. Have hope. This old institution we call marriage, that this world is seeking to tear apart. You understand that most of what goes on in Washington is to tear down the traditional family. But we would go further than that and not just say traditional we would say this is the biblical pattern of marriage. Understand something. God will win. God will win this one. I'm telling you. It is, for, it is a vehicle for the grace and glory of God. And the redeeming power of Christ is at work. And last time I checked it out in Scripture, His will will prevail. Amen. Father God, we love you. And Lord, I know I haven't said it all. Lord, I know that there's so many rocks that it's almost impossible for us to overturn them all. But Lord, we're just asking for help in our marriages. God, help our men to take that responsibility of headship. 
to lead in such a way where they protect and lead spiritually their wives and their children. God, help me to be a better leader and husband. God, rid us from the pull of passivity. And Lord, help our ladies. Father, Lord, we're blessed in this church with wonderful families and strong marriages. But Lord, there's room for work. Why? Because your glory demands it. Lord, help us. Father, if there's someone who is lost, let them hear that aspect of why you came and laid aside your equality in the sense of not wanting to grasp it. When you left heaven, you were equal with the Father. When you came to this earth, you were still equally the Son of God. And yet, you in all of your glory, the Bible says that we know the grace of God, that though you were rich, for our sakes you became poor, that through your poverty we might become rich. The way we become rich is given to us through what you did for us and our acceptance of you as the Son of God bearing our guilt and our penalty and becoming our substitutionary atonement, bearing our sin debt, taking it upon yourself, and that if we trust you, you'll give us a righteousness that is not of us, it is of you, and you'll give us a righteous standing before the Father. God, help us. If there's someone who is lost, may they seek you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more word. Ladies, I know what you're thinking. Let's get to the end of this and let the husband hear what's going to fix him. And then if I've done anything wrong, I'll go to him. That won't work. Wouldn't it be awesome if this became a context of wives who may need to go to their husbands and say to them, I haven't been living according to that standard, and I seek repentance. Today, if you will not harden your heart as those in the wilderness, right? Uh, Psalm 95, but obey the Lord. It very well could be today that some wives need to do this. And I know you wives are thinking, you're going to say the same thing to the husbands? <laughs> you know me well enough, right? With 105 words, verses 40, okay? There's an imbalance in this text. And it's going to be preached starting next week, amen? But maybe that's what you need to do during this invitation, ladies. Let's sing together. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all, to him I freely I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee my blessed Savior I All right. Well, Joel it was planned, of course, to preach down in Guatemala. I don't know when they started with their service because we're in a different area over there than we've ever been before. 
But Joel was to preach there. It's exciting when God is using uh, kids from our church, right? Nathan Murphy is here with us. Praise the Lord. He and Lauren and the baby. And he's all the way up to her waist already. Growing, huh? And uh, Bredo's back with us. All the way from Turkey, right? And he brought somebody back with him from Turkey. All right? Yeah, all right. Glad Braden's with us. What a blessing to have people come back and visit our church and hope you'll pray for them. God is so good and uh, he's a blessing. He's blessing our church family, sending people out. And uh, that's a huge blessing. So glad to have you all with us today. All right? All right. Anything else, David? Okay. Let me pray. Father, help us. Lord, uh, we have a, uh, a huge responsibility, Lord, to love as men as you've loved us and sacrificed and gave yourself, Lord. Uh, but at the same time, Father, we, we know full well that our, the power and the grace uh, to live the Christian life flows from your Spirit and through the Lord Jesus Christ and, Lord, by grace. And we thank you for it. Father, for... Uh, Joel preaching this morning, we, we ask that you would speak through him. There's that obstacle of need for interpretation. And Lord, uh, we, we know that someone will be interpreting and giving it out. And we just pray there's clarity that you would speak the gospel. We, we've heard that two uh, in the families over there uh, where they're building homes have trusted Christ this week. And we exalt your name for it. And Lord, we also uh, keep mindful uh, of how you're blessing our church with sending out people like Nathan and Braden and Lord Joel and, and many others, Lord Whitney and Father, the list goes on and on of those who are committed to serve you. We pray your blessing on them. Uh, thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Almost home, we're almost home. So press on toward the blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost